Well, good morning, Redeemer Odessa. My name is Treasure McLean, and I am with the Bertrand Community Group. And today I'll be reading in the Bible with you all. So we're reading in Matthew 5, and it's verse 13 through 16. So I'll give you all a sec to turn there. All right. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Hey, good morning. My name is Tanner House. I'm the lead and teaching pastor here at Redeemer Church of Odessa. It is good to be with you this morning. Like Treasure said, we are in Matthew 5, so if you want to hang out there with me this morning. So I have this love-hate relationship with social media. Uh, I don't have Facebook. I don't have Twitter. I have two Instagram profiles. One's for like my personal stuff, taking pictures and videos of my kids and my, my family, places I'm traveling, whatever I'm eating that day. Um, the other one's for my vinyl record collection, just to share that with the world. Uh, I don't have Facebook because all of the infighting surrounding the 2016 election between Christians about who they were going to vote for or why they weren't going to vote for the guy they subsequently voted for, uh, all of that kind of pushed me over the edge, and I deleted my Facebook. Haven't been back on, have no plans to get back on. But social media is kind of cool. There's some cool things about it. Like our church can engage and connect to people all over the community through it. I have a friend that's a missionary in Vietnam, and it's already Monday morning there. But I can keep up with him through Facebook and Instagram. And he's been my best friend since kindergarten, so it's good to see what he's doing and to know how I can pray for him. The worst thing about social media is everybody gets a platform. It's also the best thing about social media. Everybody gets a platform. For example, if you are like a creative type personality, you're into graphic design or something like that, you can find people on there with the same hobbies, the same interests that will inspire you. You can collaborate. You can work through stuff together, give one another ideas on how to improve your craft. If you're passionate about something, social media is often the place that you let the whole world know what you're passionate about. Your kids, your spouse, your dog. If you're a late 20s, early 30s Christian woman, probably your essential oil collection. Um, hopefully, though, Christian, hopefully you're Jesus as well. So here are two things I want to tell you about this. Our time together is not going to be, this is, we're about to leave the social media uh, arena, but before we do, um, I want to say this. 
if your Christian witness does not extend to your social media, or you're spending more time scrolling feeds uh, than you are in the Word of God and in prayer, you need to delete your social media. Secondly, and this is where I want to camp out for the bulk of our time today, if your Christian witness does not go beyond sharing sermon quotes from pastors and Bible verses here and there on your social media, that too is also a problem. So this is week three of our, our vision and value series. We've talked about the gospel for the church and how that spills into everything that we're going to do. Last week we talked about community, and the idea was that as believers, we are called into fellowship with God, and we're called into fellowship with one another. Meaning, because we're called into a faith family together, we have a responsibility then to shepherd one another's souls. As members of the same family, we're called to bear one another's burdens. We're called to call one another out on our sin and our unbelief. We're called to reconcile. We're called to forgive. We're called to accountability, both the giving of accountability and the receiving of accountability. We're holding one another accountable to our spiritual disciplines. And I want to unpack this a little more with you this morning. But before we dive headlong into this idea, we need to pray. We need to ask the Lord Jesus to center our hearts and our thoughts and minds on him. Because I think there are some things that we're going to talk about this morning that we really need to hear. I think there's some things that the Lord is trying to move and stir up in us this morning. And I would like to just, as a church, posture ourselves uh, in humility before the throne of our resurrected king. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are needy people. Lord, we understand. Lord, may we confess before you that um, oftentimes our hearts are anything but humble and contrite before you. Lord, I pray that you would bring conviction where conviction is needed this morning. Lord, I pray that you would bring repentance where repentance is needed this morning. Lord, remind us of your grace. Remind us of your goodness that you, as a missional God, pursued people that were your enemies. Lord, show us how to go and do likewise. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I've been thinking about, I took a weird route to my cup there. Um, <laughs> like Magellan. Uh, so I've been thinking about this series uh, sort of like a funnel. I realize every metaphor breaks down at some point uh, or falls apart completely. And so there is a huge risk in what I'm about to say. This illustration may not work for you, but let me show you how I've been thinking about it. Imagine you have a funnel, and you have a water source, and you're wanting to take the water from the source into a pitcher. Okay, you following me? You'd receive the liquid from the source and through the funnel, funnel it into the pitcher. I've been viewing the church kind of like a funnel. The funnel is the gathering of people in, in corporate worship and community, and the liquid is the gospel poured into the funnel. 
The gospel makes the funnel necessary, but the funnel in this poorly constructed metaphor doesn't keep the gospel to itself. It doesn't keep the gospel inside itself. It funnels it out into the picture, the world. As the church, we are receiving the gospel weekly in our gatherings to then go out into the world and proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. Because remember what we've said over the last two weeks. If the gospel is true, your life should look like it's true. Remember this. Not only, because the gospel is true, not only are our eternities changed. Our todays, our lives are impacted right now. And if the gospel is true, then everything changes including how we function within the church and how we serve one another, yes, but it also changes how we function within the lost and dying world around us. If you believe that the gospel is true, if you have been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you know that you have received a pardon for your sin and a forgiveness from your sin, That does not give us a license to sit idly by and watch as the world around us perishes apart from Christ. Knowing all that you have been saved from, you now need to function out of your new identities in Christ. Throughout the scripture, Jesus makes a lot of statements about himself. He says things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Then there are times he says things about his disciples. Today, we're going to look at one of those instances. The definition of a disciple, just so we're all on the same page, the definition of a disciple means a learner. So a disciple of Jesus, then, is one who learns from Jesus. The disciples of Jesus are not limited to the 12 that we see in the gospel narratives They are all believers in Jesus from the time that Jesus was on the earth till today. If you are a believer in Christ, you are a disciple. And a good and faithful disciple of Jesus, then, is one who does what Jesus calls him to do. So we see in Matthew 5, Jesus sitting on this mountain with a crowd gathered around him, and he begins to teach. He reminds his disciples of their position in Christ with what is traditionally or commonly known as the Beatitudes. He's like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Like he reminds them of what's available to them because of their relationship with Christ. Then with their blessedness widely in focus, he gives them their response to their position in Christ. Verse 13, he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under, under people's feet. So with the Beatitudes in view, Jesus reminds us of something really important. It was important then, It's equally important today as our world is becoming more and more and more post-Christian or even anti-Christian. Jesus says true followers are the only real salt that this world is ever going to taste. 
It does not take long to see that our world is in a state of decay. A couple of the functions of salt are as like a preserving agent and a purification agent. Where there is decay, we need salt. When you look at the scriptures all the way back in Genesis 1 and 2, when God was creating the world, everything was perfect. And then in Genesis 3, because of the fall of Adam, everything is fractured now. And if you read the Bible for all it's worth, you'll discover that until Jesus comes back and sets up his earthly kingdom, it isn't going to get any better. But that isn't a call for the church to sit idly by. That isn't a call for the church to become isolated and separatist from the world. Jesus, in this call to be salt, is actually encouraging us to engage the culture and engage the world. But listen, that comes with a warning. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But in verse 13, he says, if the salt loses its saltiness, it is worthless. The calling of Jesus is to take captive the decay, not be taken captive by it. This can play out in a number of different ways for the Christian, but in a real general sense, listen to me very carefully. I'll say this. If your life looks exactly like your unbelieving friends, if your speech is just like your unbelieving friends' speech, if your sexual ethics are just like the world's sexual ethics, then you may be in danger of losing your saltiness. Even more simply, if what you value, if what your time, your talents, your resources go to are all going to things that don't honor God, and you indeed claim to be a Christian, man, I fear you may think you're saved and you may not be. One theologian says it like this. Believers who fail to arrest corruption become worthless as agents of change and redemption. Christianity may make its peace with the world and avoid persecution, but it is thereby rendered impotent to fulfill its divinely ordained role. It will thus ultimately be rejected even by those with whom it sought to compromise. Isaiah 7, 9 says, If you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. Listen to me. When we try to have our foot in both camps, as the chasm widens between the world and faith in Christ, we will ultimately fall. We have seen it too many times. How many times have you heard of some like big deal Christian author or speaker or pastor or whatever, and you find out about like ongoing unrepentant sin that just wrecks their ministries and wrecks their families and leaves a wake of destruction around them? And it starts with one small compromise after another. No one wakes up in the morning and says, Today I'm going to cheat on my spouse. Small compromise with your time, and you stop fighting for one another. Small compromises with your eyes, and the pornography just isn't satisfying you anymore. Your sin will always take you further and further and further than you ever intended to go. Man, and if I'm honest, 
it scares me to death. Because those small compromises creep in, and we lie to ourselves, and we say it isn't that big of a deal. Just as an aside to like reiterate some stuff we, we talked about last week, that is why we push community so hard here. It is really difficult to grow in isolation. It is not difficult to sin in isolation. And we are all prone to drift. Like the song we sing, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And that's true because our hearts are naturally not inclined to choose the things of Jesus. Listen. Do not be complicit in the sins of your brothers and sisters, especially those in your church family. If you see something that isn't sitting quite right with you, humbly approach your brother or your sister for the sake of their souls and the sake of the health of the church. Go to them in love. And if you see it in me, call me out on it. Please. Bless you. Christian, we cannot have both things. You can't have Jesus and the world. You can chase money. You can chase status. You can chase whatever it is that's trying to fulfill you. And Jesus says, it is entirely possible to gain the whole world and then lose your soul in the process. And what you do with that statement from Jesus doesn't just affect you. It has huge ramifications for your witness for Christ. But listen, Jesus, because of the resurrection, is offering us something better. He offers us himself. He offers us forgiveness from our sins. And when we understand that, it ought to motivate us to bear witness with the same offer to others. Verse 14 and 15, it says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Follow this line of thinking with me for a minute. Jesus in John 8 says, um, an I am statement like the one we mentioned earlier. He says, I'm the light of the world. But here, he tells his disciples, you are the light of the world. He says that to him in verse 14. Because of the church's relationship to Jesus, because as believers we know that Christ's spirit indwells in us, we are to become like Jesus. So Jesus is the light of the world. And this light is now inside of us. We are light possessors who now get to become light transmitters. So when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, he does not mean you are a light by yourself, you are not a light within yourself, or because of yourself. Christians are the light because Ephesians 5.8 tells us we're light in the Lord. Because Jesus is the light of the world first, believers then are able to go and be light of, the light of the world because of what Christ has done for them. 
Jesus is the source of the light for the church because he himself is the light. Look what else it says. Because we're the light of the world, we cannot be hidden, and no sensible person will light a lamp and then hide it. So a few weeks ago, we had some kind of a like winter storm. I've been calling it Snowvid 19. Um, how many of you lost power during Snowvid 19? A handful of you, yeah. How useful would it have been for you then to turn on your flashlight so you could see where you were walking and then stuff it down in your couch cushions? How effective is that flashlight at that point? Or how many of you, like, would use the flashlight and just completely repelled the darkness like a lightsaber running around? Um, a little light has such a huge impact in dark places. Jesus is encouraging us here. Because of your position in Christ, you don't need to be ashamed of Christ. Because Jesus is the light inside of you, through his indwelling Holy Spirit, you can be bold. You can be courageous because Jesus is with you. Growing up, we used to sing this song uh, about having this little light that we were going to let it shine. We weren't going to let Satan it out. And I was not about to hide it under a bushel. No, I was going to let it shine. Yeah, and just like the salt metaphor, believers in Jesus are the only true light the unbelieving world will ever see. Listen, because Christ has redeemed your life, you have everything you need to be salt and light to the world. And Jesus gives us a command in the section. Verse 16, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may see your good works, so that they may see your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If I were to ask you what the goal of Christianity was, how would you respond? Heaven, health, wealth, prosperity, happiness. Let me tell you what the goal of Christianity is. Hang with me, bro. The goal of Christianity is the glory of God. John Piper says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Our satisfaction is most evident when we are functioning out of the overflow of our hearts that have been redeemed by Christ on the cross. Regardless of whatever else is going on in our life, regardless of our circumstances, if everything in our life seems hopeless, man, we can still cling to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who promises to never leave us or forsake us because the resurrection has the final word for us. When Jesus says in the same way in verse 16, what he is saying is that followers of Jesus follow his example, which is selfless and sacrificial even to death. Let your light from God shine brightly before others, both believers and unbelievers alike. And in doing so, 
You will encourage the hearts of the faithful believers, and unbelievers will see Christ in us. And in doing so, both of that brings God glory, which again is the goal of Christianity. Man, it is so easy to be motivated by anything other than Christ's glory when it comes to doing good. I can do stuff out of my own vanity. I can do stuff wanting the applause of men and the glory for myself. But just as a word of caution as your friend and as your pastor, it is entirely, poss- uh, it is entirely possible to do a bunch of good and godly things with wrong sinful motives. And the adverse is true too. It is entirely possible to avoid doing good and godly things because our motives are wrong and sinful. But listen, church, we have been called into fellowship with the Father by the death of His Son for His glory and for His glory alone. Salvation is a gift of God, so may we be motivated by Christ's love to us to go and pursue others with the same love. Our faith is not meant to be idle or passive, but rather active and intentional. The Reformers would say that it is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies will never be alone. It is not faith plus works, but rather by faith we can now get to work. Our faith is not an idle faith, but an active faith. James 2, 14 through 17 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Listen, I am not saying that your salvation is earned by your good works. We believe in salvation through God alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. But when Jesus says, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven, this is the act of faith that he's talking about. So here, this is Vision and Values Week 3. So here is how this is going to play out for us corporately. As a church, we have been called to leverage our time, our talents, our resources for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have been called to leverage our work and our families and our hobbies for the gospel. We are going to take the Great Commission seriously. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When it comes to Redeemer Odessa's vision of mission, we're going to view everything that we do through the lens of three buckets. Neighborhoods, nations, next generations. When it comes to our missional investments and our missional work, if it doesn't impact our neighborhoods, the nations, or the next generations with the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we're going to move on from them. Neighborhoods, 
I want to talk about this. It looks like this. This is the local arm of our church's outreach. My desire is to have multiple community groups scattered all over the city. My desire for you is that you would actually know your neighbors. Our hope is to be so committed to radical biblical hospitality that our homes are revolving doors of friends and neighbors and co-workers who don't know Christ. As Christianity becomes more and more marginalized in our nation and in our world, the Christian home and the Christian dinner table is going to be one of the greatest apologetics that we have to reaching unbelievers in our life. We're going to look for ways to get on the college campuses here and serve international students and those who are far from their families, who need people to come around them and love them. We're going to look for ways to serve our school district. Additionally, and this one's super important, we are going to be committed to the foster care crisis in our county. We're going to fund adoptions as a church. We're going to pay for home studies for people who are pursuing adoptions. We're going to partner with places that are involved in foster care. Children are very near and dear to the heart of the Lord, and we are going to advocate for the most needy and vulnerable in our own backyard. I had a guy one time ask me, hey man, do I have to do foster care to be a part of your church? I responded, no, but you do have to care. Not everyone can or should adopt. Not everyone can or should do foster care. But you can love and serve kids who are either waiting to be adopted or serve families who are pursuing fostering or adoption. It is super hard, and it is super lonely, and it is an opportunity to be the church to one another and serve. When you are a believer in Jesus you will begin to care about the things that he cares about. Beyond that, I want to know what you're passionate about. And if it furthers the kingdom of God, there's a place for you here to take some ownership of that and pursue loving people in the same way that Christ has loved you. So let's have a conversation. So that's neighborhoods. Nations. We are a part of the Redeemer Network family of churches. That is a group of church plants in West and Central Texas and their kids and their grandkids. Um, there's one in Hobbs. There's one in Utah. There's one in Oklahoma. Those are the three outside of Texas. Uh, there are about 20 of us and counting, Lord willing. We have partnered together financially as well as pastorally to train and equip and resource other future church planters and to train and equip and resource existing churches. Uh, we're going to give a portion of our income away every single year so that this, to this network so that the gospel uh, will continue. If you look at the New Testament, the blueprint that God uses to reach the nations is church planting. Paul would go to a place, establish a church there, and trust that church to faithful men to lead and pastor and shepherd. And then he would go and do the same thing somewhere else. We are a continuation of that. We're going to partner with church plants and planters all over the region, all over the state, all over the nation, and beyond. We're going to raise up and send out church planters and missionaries to go. My primary desire 
is not to fill up the fun dome with people. I mean, that'd be cool if that happens. God bless if it does. But my desire is to be a sending church. I want to send people out of here equipped to take the gospel to the nations. If that's South Odessa or if that's Southeast Asia, I'm here for that. My role as a minister of the gospel is to equip you for ministry. We're going to be a church that sends. If you feel called to missions or if you feel called to church planning specifically or any kind of ministry in general, I believe you're in the right place. I'm available to talk about that too. Neighborhoods, nations, and thirdly, next generations. Man, we're going to train our kids in righteousness. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Man, if you look around Odessa, so many of the churches in this town are on the verge of death. This is what I think has happened. At some point in years past in Christianity, especially in Bible Belt Christianity, we got busy telling everybody what we were against, and we failed to mention who we were for. Additionally, Christians don't always exude Christ-like humility. We don't model repentance. A lot of times we open our mouths and spew arrogance. We fake this perfection, and that breeds so much self-righteousness. And in doing so, a lot, of Christian, a lot of Christian culture has lost its prophetic voice in the culture, and it has not discipled the next generation or two after them in the faith. And when one generation assumes the gospel, the next generation always loses the gospel. May that not be so with us. May we teach our kids the ways of Jesus. May we be the chief repenters in our homes. May we speak the truth and love to our kids. I am realizing this week that I am so deficient in this area. So if you're feeling like you're failing as a parent, you're in the right place. There is a lot of hope for us in Christ. We are going to focus on whole life discipleship, and that includes children and youth and family ministries. I am looking at Redeemer Odessa through a 30 to 35 year lens. I'll be 35 this year, and if the Lord sees fit, I want to give this a 30 to 35 year run and ride off into the sunset and trusting this church to a faithful man of God. And in doing so, I want to leave a legacy of faithful men and women behind us who have discipled their children and whose children are grown adults with kids, training their kids to do the same things. We are going to structure our ministries to get you and your families into the Word. I'm really passionate about teaching you parents, especially you daddies in here, how to disciple your kids. And again, I need so much accountability here. We have so much to learn together. We have so much to learn from each other. So that is our vision for missions here at this church. But none of this is going to happen without people deeply committed to the body of Christ. We are calling you to be in community, 
and for your community to live on mission together with one another. Part of the role of community in our church is accountability to your spiritual disciplines. Because within your spiritual disciplines, those are evidences of God's grace on our lives. That is how we grow in godliness, by discipling ourselves and disciplining ourselves for holiness. Disciplining ourselves to be with Jesus. We hold one another accountable to the reading of our Bibles and in our relationships with Jesus through prayer and scripture memory. And I also believe that evangelism is a spiritual discipline. Don Whitney says evangelism is a natural overflow of the Christian life. We should be able to talk about what the Lord has done for us and what he means to us, but it is a discipline. And unless we discipline ourselves for evangelism, it is very easy to excuse ourselves from ever sharing the gospel with anyone. I want to end our time together with this. There is a cancer in Bible Belt Christianity that views ministry and missions for the professional people. Like as the pastor of this church, it is somehow my job to go and tell your neighbors about Jesus so that you don't have to do it. Or that as pastors and ministers that work for a church, we're supposed to plan events for you to show up to so that you can check off boxes that you're doing some kind of ministry. Or you can send money to some faraway missionary, and that is the extent of your missional engagement. But listen, if your involvement in ministry is limited to church attendance and a one-off outreach event, that is not at all what Christ is calling you to do. If you send money to support foreign missions, that's good. Keep it up. But if you're doing that so you don't have to go be a part of foreign missions, if you're giving money so you don't have to go and do likewise, that is not at all the call of Christ on our lives. Man, I hope that our mission and vision for this church gets you excited about what God can and will do through Redeemer Odessa. But if you're not a willing participant, I just have a ton of questions for you. Let me start with this. Do you understand where your life would be had not Christ intercepted you? Do you understand what's at stake for people in our lives that don't know Jesus? If Christ wants you to knock on your neighbor's door and share the gospel with them, would you do it? Man, who, who do you know that needs to hear about the love of Jesus? Is there anything in your life that would cause someone to look at your life and glorify the Father who is in heaven? Is there anything in your life that caused someone to see Jesus? Man, if the answer is no, you need to repent. If the answer is no, man, you may need to place your faith in Christ for the first time. And that's good and praiseworthy. And there is so much grace for our failures here. 
But you cannot hear the words of Jesus and remain unchanged if you are to call yourself a follower of Jesus. Danny Aiken, he's an author and theologian. He wrote a commentary on the, the Sermon on the Mount. And he ends the section of this passage with a series of questions that I thought were super good and helpful. So I want to read them for your consideration. Let each one of us examine our own lives here. Does fear of man keep you from shining brightly for Jesus among the nations? Does pride keep you from shining brightly for Jesus among the nations? Does sin keep you from shining brightly for Jesus among the nations? Does your comfort keep you from shining brightly for Jesus among the nations? Does peer pressure keep you from shining brightly for Jesus among the nations? Do your ambitions and agendas keep you from shining brightly for Jesus among the nations? Church, we have a call. We have a mandate to go and make disciples. We have all been called to this place for such a time as this. May we not waste time with trivial and fleeting pleasures of this world, but may we proclaim Christ Jesus and his excellencies to the world around us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. Lord, thank you that you give us the example of the first missionary. Lord, stepping out of perfection going to a foreign land, going to people that hate you, and loving them enough, loving us enough to endure our sin and our shame and our punishment that was rightly deserved for us. Lord, may we never take for granted just the amount of love and sacrifice that it took for you to endure the cross for us. And Lord, understanding that, may we be willing to go and do likewise, Lord. May we be willing to go and speak in boldness. Lord, I pray this morning for those that may not know that love, Lord, that they would not leave here unchanged. Lord, that you would call people out of sin and darkness into light. Lord, in you there is life, and there is life everlasting. Lord, we love you, we need you in this moment, and we ask these things in your name. Amen. Hey, if you're new, uh, we use this moment and we respond. Um, we ask that you would respond openly and honestly to how the Lord is dealing with you. Um, man, for today, I just would ask you, like, if you know somebody in your life that doesn't know Christ, just take this moment and pray for them. Man, if you can't think of anybody to pray for, because all your friends are Christians, that's cool. But pray that God would put people in your life that need to know about Him. Man, if you resonate with anything I listed a minute ago, repent of unbelief and run to the Father who lovingly wants to use you. Man, if you don't know Jesus, 
Let's talk about that. I'll be back over here in the corner if you want to come learn what it means for the first time to be a Christ follower. Come and chat with me. And if you need to confess some sin or repent of some things, I'm back there as well. Go to somebody in your group. Just don't waste these moments. Would you stand? And we're going to sing and respond.